Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM, the podcast dedicated to travel risk management. My name is Travel Risk Bex, I'm also known as Bex Deadman, and I'm delighted to, well, today I'm, I'm, I always um, introduce people in a slightly different way and I, I think this person's name has come up in pretty much every conversation I've ever had across travel risk management and I've just let him know that he's, he's pretty well respected out there and he's He's kind of a little bit of a demigod. Um, so I've completely embarrassed him before we've even started. But um, the work that, uh, that this gentleman has done, it's way before any of the stuff that we talk about with the standards. So he's been involved in this space for a very long time. Um, it's technology driven, but a lot of other stuff behind it. So without further ado, my guest today is John Scott. Um a big fan, Bruce McIndoe and Kevin Coffey and various other people that we've interviewed on this podcast. So it's an absolute delight for me to have you here, John. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I really am so happy you're here. We caught up a couple of weeks ago and it was good to to see what's going on with you guys. And I can't wait to kind of get into some of those conversations today. So before um, I get carried away, let's introduce you and let's start the first question. So, John. Who are you and what is what is it that you do? Yeah, I'm John. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Voyage Manager and also a newer company called Miyabazo. So I was in Sri Lanka in 2004 when the tsunami hit. I remember it well. It was um, I wasn't in Sri Lanka, but it was one of the big crisis management things I ever had to deal with. So, yeah, it's one of my deciding points. So, wow, you were actually there. Yeah. Now, we were on a beach that got wiped out uh, um, we were, so we were on a beach here yeah, that got wiped out. We were there a couple of days before it happened. Now we were actually up in the hills in the mountains, the Sri Lanka mountains, when the event mm-hmm. happened. And basically, I think it was the morning of the event itself. Uh, we were watching local TV. Well, of course, it was all in Singalese, but we had a driver who was driving us around the country. And he said there had been a big wave uh, and about 20 people had died in Sri Lanka. Now, this was at the very start of the whole event. Um, now, my thought was, well, okay, 20 people, it's a reasonably large number of people. It may hit international news, it may not. Uh, but my thought was, well, actually, I'm going to call my parents. So they're in Norway. Uh, and it was about 2 a.m. And I called them and I said, hey, you know, there's been a big event. It may or may not hit the international news, but just in case, uh, we're all fine. We're up in the mountains uh, and it's not an issue. Um, you know, within a couple of hours, you know, the scope and scale of the event became apparent. Um, I mean, in Sri Lanka, I think there were 20,000 deaths, roughly. Yeah, it was one of the worst countries hit for a death toll in the end. Yeah, Thailand was significant. Yeah, Thailand was significantly worse. Um, mm-hmm. um, and the other thing is that we were going to be climbing to the highest peak in the country as well that evening. And we didn't want to, you know, could it, we could easily have been out of communication and therefore... Mm-hmm. You know, we'd have an issue of you know people get worried. Um, of course, you know as as the event or as the repercussions became more apparent, 
I mean, a lot of people contacted my parents. They were saying, John's in Sri Lanka, how is he? And of course, because I'd preempted them in the morning. And yeah, they were very <laughs> uh, thankful for the fact that I actually called them, even though it was in the middle of the night. Um, and then uh, off the back of that, about a year and a half later, I built a system called ShoutSafe. So the whole idea here was to be able to get messages to friends and family when a big event happens. And that was kind of the premise behind ShoutSafe. So initially what you would do is you'd create an account, you'd add your friends, your family members into the system, and you would get one message into this platform and it could then relay that to everybody else. Uh, and was it about 10 years later, Facebook came up with a similar thing within Facebook. The, uh, and I mean, the biggest problem with a platform like this, of course, is the fact that you need to pre-populate it with all of your contacts. And that's where Facebook yeah. has a big advantage, of course. Now, we also added things like a timer message. And the idea was that, so let's say, you know, like we were going to, we're going climbing in that mountain. You know, we might be out of communication. The idea is to put a message in that will get fired at a particular time in the future if you fail to disable it. And then the last sort of big feature we added was a travel tracker. Okay. Uh, and so that's kind of how all of this came to be. And so yeah, I started building ShoutSafe in 2006, 2007. Um, or any of this stuff was kind of on the agenda for lots of people. So one of the kind of earlier systems i think would you agree with the other things around then obviously i mean i'm guessing isos were around still um I, I believe isos built their first sort of tracking platform uh after 9-11 yeah. is what i've read okay. so but yeah okay. we so were, actually yeah. we were predating that as well okay yeah, yeah. it's going to be good listeners keep going <laughs> tell us more john um, so yeah, so that was kind of the whole idea behind uh, the shout safe. Now shout safe, we have decided, so it never really got a gain traction. And the big, big issue there was the fact that you need to add your friends and family in advance. And with Facebook having, of course, them built a system you know, ten years after we did ours, um, yeah, they have that. They have all of those contacts. But I would still say Facebook is inferior to what we built, because the problem with Facebook is uh, and. I mean, a perfect example of this was a friend of mine. She had a baby. This is a few years ago. And I remember about two weeks later, I noticed a picture on Facebook and she said, yeah, I've had a baby and two weeks ago. Of course, unless you're monitoring that feed, you don't know what's happening. So you could easily miss the fact that somebody said they're safe. Whereas with yeah. our platform, the idea is it sends a message directly to you to say that you're safe. Um, and it was the it was in 2008 so i was still kind of doing contracting work and work, um, had a kind of a regular job when i was doing this uh, and in 2008 it was the hsc director of a company an oil services company that um said why don't you take ShoutSafe and turn it into a business tool and i thought well don't have any better ideas at the time so yeah let's go ahead and so i started converting primarily just the tra it was a travel tracking component uh, and started building what is now voyage manager um and so I spent two years building it in the sort of evenings, weekends, uh, while doing contracting work. And then the company was founded in 2010. So been around for a few years now. You have been, and what a story as well. And I think what a, what a kind of drive to start the company in the first place. Uh, the tsunami was probably my first major kind of crisis management piece that I was involved in. I was, I've talked about it before on different podcasts, but I was working for a company called Explore at the time, so a tour operator. And yeah. I got a call on Boxing Day. We already had a crisis team because a few years previously, 
about 20 years previously, they'd had a major incident where people had been shot in the Yemen. So as a tour operating company, they were very, very on it as far as practicing and crisis management. And we had practices every year. So when this happened, we were kind of ready to go. Um, but I think we had over 180 tours because obviously it hit so many countries, didn't it? Um, amazingly, we had nobody lost the tour, the tour. And it was down to the tour leaders that were obviously trained impeccably well, but they got everyone to the higher ground um, and were really aware of what was going on. Sadly, that didn't happen for every tour operator out there. It was just really fortunate for us that we didn't have any awful calls to make. But to actually be there um, is quite significantly different. And what I'm really, what I hear all the way through your conversation is we just wanted to make sure that our loved ones were okay because you understand the worry. And of course, when it does hit May news, like it obviously did, then the yeah. impact that's going to have. So if they hadn't have heard from you and hundreds of their friends and your friends are calling, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse for them, isn't it? Until that point that you reach out. And and this was pre-Facebook, you know, pre-kind of <clears throat> internet properly working like it sort of works now, you know. It was the very sort of early days of all of that. So I remember when I first went travelling and I think we were on Yahoo Gmail and that was our kind of way of communicating back then if I got to an internet cafe and that, that was it. So I, I really made sure I checked in regularly because I knew that my family would worry. Um, so changing it into a traveller tracking tool, I mean, this is how I first kind of came across you. So I obviously do some work with Peregrine um, and, and they work with you guys. Um, we've done some yep. tender stuff together. But what I... What what makes your system different as far as you're concerned? Because right now, <clears throat> it feels like there's a lot of traveler tracking tools out there. And I come from travel side, as you know, we've had long conversations around this, which can certainly muddy the waters as far as duty of care tools and traveler tracking, because a lot of it feels like it's a bit of a bolt on sometimes from a TMC's offering. Um, yep. What 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 makes it different in, in VM? And of course, Mia Barzo, tell me a bit more about what the differences are. Yeah, so Voyage Manager was the first company we founded, and it's kind of grown into very much an enterprise-level platform. So it's uh, used by very large organizations. I mean, we do have a few companies with maybe 20 or 30 employees on it, but our largest client probably has in the region of 30 to 40,000 employees. And so it's built for that sort of scale for that type of customer. Um, it was actually just before covid um, I mean, we've been thinking about it but for a while, was that we wanted to build a tool specifically for individuals and small businesses and small groups. Yeah. Um, and and that is basically what Mia Bazo is. So actually throughout COVID, um, a lot of our time, you know, with a lot, with a lot less travel um, within the larger organizations, we spent a lot of time building out the Mia Bazo platform. So it's a separate business um, and it's also a self-service platform. So whereas with Voyage Manager, you you can buy a subscription, uh, but it's on an annual basis with certain restrictions. And it's also, I guess, as I said, an enterprise tool. Uh, a lot of companies buy it based on the number of trips. So they'll purchase 10,000, 20,000 trips a year. Uh, with Mia Bazo, you go in as a small business, you create a company account, and then you purchase the number of subscriptions that you want for the number of travelers you have. From a user experience, it's also it sounds wrong. It's simplified. It's streamlined. It's just easier to use. We've taken out kind of the things that we feel are the most important and just made it a more streamlined product. 
And how is that going? Have you had an impact? Have you had an interest from SMEs? Because this is an area that I'm really, really interested in. It's obviously it's where the conversations first happened between us when I was talking to Lawrence and then Laurie. <clears throat> um, but for me, this is a big gap, right? So in the UK, 99% of businesses are SMEs. That's huge. Yeah. Um, 0.1% are large businesses and there's about 8,000 of them. We're talking 5.5 million SMEs. Only about 72% of, sorry, only about 30, 28% of them actually have employees, which is interesting. So there's lots of small businesses set up, obviously, for other reasons. But you're still talking about 1.5 million companies. Um, and it's just an area that people aren't engaging in. 4% of them are using TMCs. So you've got a lot of people just booking directly as far as travel is concerned. So how are you finding um, SMEs kind of tracking with that? Are, are they get, are there, is there interest? Uh, there's limited interest at the moment. I think there are two problems with the SMEs. So number one is there are companies that are completely unaware of the fact that they have that duty of care, that responsibility. Uh, yeah. and, and we did some uh, market research and we had people come in and, you know, we were telling them this is what your responsibility is. And these were people who were sending people around, all around the world and they'd say, no, I had no clue. So I think that's problem number one. Um, and then problem number two is, and again, I mean, going back to kind of Voyage Manager and some of the large companies we've spoken to, um, we were we were in dialogue with a big seismic so oil services company. And they said, you know, we've been sending people to Nigeria for years. It's been perfectly fine. And especially the older employees, they're going, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's not a problem. And I think that's the attitude a lot of smaller companies have is that they they're not as much as they know they have a problem they're not willing to address it so there are kind of two issues there one is that they they either know but they don't want to do anything about it or they're just completely unaware of it or perhaps they know but they just don't have the skill set or the wherewithal to deal with it i think when you so first set up a company and we would know right we've both done it um yeah. i mean i'm still just a one-man band at the one woman band at the moment so it's easier for me but obviously, there's just so much that you have to consider, especially when it comes to the legislation and the governance part, which I think for companies just seems like it's getting worse and worse. Part of my mantra is actually the smaller you are, the easier it is to set all this stuff up because it just grows with you then as a company. But you've already got this idea. This yeah. within. But I think you're right. I think um, but it's coming for SMEs. And I think because of the way that the corporates have to, do, to now sort of work within this space. Yeah, I think SMEs have always sort of felt, well, you know, we're a bit smaller, we don't need to, but there's just too much reliant on the travellers. And I think what tends to happen, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen the same, is that everyone's just kind of running along with their head down, doing everything that they need to be doing, and then something happens. Someone pops up in a country when there's a situation and nobody knew they were there. And that's the scenario I hear again and again and again. Um, I yeah. just heard it recently with a couple of incidents in the Middle East with two different companies. And that's when they pick up the phone and they talk to an ISO consultant to try, you know, to try and get their head around this stuff, because <clears throat> this isn't about travel bookings. <laughs> this is about travel management. It's from my side, it's always been about the bookings because that's what the TMC is kind of primarily interested in. That's their drive. But this yeah. is a whole piece that wraps around that the TMC is part of and an important part. But there's about nine different other parts that are just as important. And over all of that is what you as a company want to do and your risk appetite. And that's things that, you know, companies just have not addressed generally, let alone for, for travel. Not sure where to start with implementing a standard such as ISO 31030? 
A gap analysis exercise from Ascent Risk Management is the best place to start. Our expert consultants will take you step by step through your chosen standard and highlight any weak areas. This can be conducted remotely and the results of the gap analysis can form the plan for your targeted project. Contact Ascent today at www.ascent1, which is A-S-S-E-N-T-1.com and booking your gap analysis today. So I just want to, we kind of got into your why really early on, but I just want to make sure, because I mean, obviously being there in Sri Lanka is the realisation of, of kind of what happened to you, but is there anything else that you kind of want to add that just that just sort of drives you every day? Because it's not, it's not the easiest space, is it? And I speak to people, and I think those of us that are in it are so passionate about it and and want everyone to understand its relevance and how important it is, but often it is met with closed doors or we don't have time or budget or funding now. So what is it that gets you up every day, John? Um, I'm a techie. Uh, for, me, for me, it's the technology. It's the challenges of building and you know, making these fantastic platforms. That, that's what basically drives me. Um, so it's, it's this sounds wrong, but, uh, it, you know, the, the people side is important, but also being able to make this work and also making it simple, as simple and easy to use as possible. So we've always tried to make the platform very accessible. And I agree. And I think it's, it is about the people ultimately, right? That's why you're doing it. But without the technology working and without people like you, John, who think like that, we'd be stuck because all of the systems don't work in the way that they kind of should do at the moment. We need things to kind of to bring it all together um, yeah. and, and to gel it all together. So just from I sort of talk about this journey in three sort of steps, you kind of got the pre-travel piece, which is the planning, the policies, pre-travel risk assessments and, and, and the booking kind of sits there ultimately then yeah. you've got the kind of middle piece which is when people are on the trip um that's where the traveler tracking tools kick in the apps all that kind of stuff the alerts the incident management and then right at the end you've got the kind of the reporting mechanism how you're reporting on your incidents and how you're learning and feeding that back into your risk management cycle so just for everyone listening where does Mirbazo or Mirbazo and voyage manager sit within that framework um, we sit kind of in all three parts. So we have a, a trip approval process where a traveler can go in, fill out a form, uh, submit it for approval, and it then goes through the approval process. Now, the trip approval side is actually one of the harder bits in some ways, because A, you want to tie it up to the travel agents, but you need to get them to cooperate. But also the travelers themselves, they just want to get on the trip. And, and this yeah. is one of the big problems with kind of any sort of tracking platform. So we had one client, for example, that, I mean, we ended up basically just asking the traveler to fill in which countries they were going to, read, in this case, the travel risk assessment, tick the box to say the trip is, you know, I've read the document, submit it for approval. And the employees felt it was too much hassle to basically read the document and tick the box. And that is one of the big challenges that we're facing. Yeah. Um, then from the on the travel itself, we send out pre-trip uh, country profiles, alerts to travelers. And we also do that throughout the trip. So we're monitoring the trip uh, from basically beginning to end. And one of the things that makes Voyage Magic, at least historically, quite different to the other travel trackers is that we do complete end-to-end -end tracking. So most travel trackers, and again, most of the tracking that goes on on our platforms will be commercial flights, hotels, car rental, and rail. But as a system, we built it as end-to-end which means that if I wanted to, I can add my car journey from my home to the train station in Cambridge. Uh, I can add the train journey 
down to London, and then the underground out to Heathrow. So we're getting the complete trip end to end. Um, and that does make it a more encompassing platform. Uh, another thing that we do is we do what we call active tracking. And I'd like to say we coined that term, we created it, and others are now using it incorrectly. So what most companies consider active tracking to be is to track a mobile phone, so basically your device. Uh, we do active itinerary tracking. Again, most travel trackers, they do passive tracking. So you book the trip, it goes into the system, and the system will track where, you've, where you are, where you've been. For us, we will communicate with the travelers throughout the trip. So an hour, two hours before departure, the system will ask the traveler to confirm, are you actually on that flight or on that train journey? As you feed back, feed back into the system, that will notify relevant parties, which could be, for me, for example, it might be family members, um, but you know, for corporate, it could be colleagues or the security team. Um, I then get onto the flight, for example, we can track the flight, the status of the flight, and then upon arrival, the system will then again ask me to confirm arrival. Now, if, I've, if I'm using like the smartphone app um, or a tracking device, then the system can automatically confirm arrival and it'll adjust the size of the geofence based on the destination. So if I'm flying into Heathrow, it'll make a big geofence. If I'm arriving at a small hotel, it'll have a very small geofence. So it's not going to say that I've arrived when I'm a kilometer away. Um, and then if I don't notify of arrival within a certain time period, the, the system will then notify administrators. So it gives you a much better picture of exactly what's happening throughout that trip. Um, this is one of the things I think that really interested me in it, because at the moment, um, this idea of kind of static data, I suppose, is what we call it from the travel perspective. So it's that stuff going through right from the TMC potentially into the assistance company, usually via a queue system and various other complicated things, or hopefully an API, but not always. And, and I think the, the trouble with that is that predominantly it's air data. Right, yeah. because TMCs mm -hmm. to this day still predominantly book air. Sometimes there'll be a hotel, but it's not always attached and it's booked differently. So it might, it might come in, but it's going to be a mess potentially, and there's lots of cleaning to do. When it then comes to the ground transport piece, other accommodation that's perhaps outside of the tool, restaurant bookings, local taxis, sorry, I said ground transport, but um, ferries, whatever that happens to be, that whole other bit of the trip, the airport car parks, the car parks on your way there, none of that's covered. Yeah. None of it. And there seems to be this kind of, um, one of my big drivers when I'm talking to companies is, if you've got a TMC, let's get as much content through the TMC as possible so that that's then what's spilling through on the other side. And then, of course, you can then match it with this with this other data. I love the fact that you've just used this podcast to correct people on this. Thank you so much. We yeah. want to make sure that they use. You've heard it from here because John coined it, right? So use it properly. Um, but I think it's there's a lot of there's a lot of reliance on the mobile phone piece, isn't there? And I think it's important. I want to just dive into this a little bit because it can be a real differentiator between some of these organizations. So let's just talk about the fact of, of how this data, how the technology works, because if we're talking globally, different countries have different restrictions. Not all data works everywhere. Mobile works in some regions much better. Wi-Fi works in other. It's not always reliable. 
And I think some of these systems rely on some of that stuff too much. So or whether it's just GPS or whatever. So so how do you come around that? Because that can be a real kind of bugbear, I think, for people. Or they get the they get the wool pulled over their eyes a little with some of this stuff. Well, I mean, from our perspective, we try to use as much data as is available to our platform. So, I mean, we have clients that just use itinerary tracking. Most clients actually just do itinerary and passive itinerary tracking, which is, to me isn't ideal, but it's where they are. Um, adding that active component, what we use is things like email and text. So you could use an old, you know, you can use what well, basically a feature phone or as much as a smartphone, but the idea is to basically work with the lowest common denominator with the active tracking. Um, now, using again your smartphone, oops, when you're traveling, um, I remember flying into Dubai Airport, um, it's probably about four or five years ago now, and you, you get that message saying, Welcome to Dubai. Um, you know, text messages cost 30 cents, uh, voice a dollar a minute, and six dollars a, a megabyte of data. You're just not going to turn data roaming on because you're basically going to burn up. You know, your company's bank account um, on, in a short stay. Now, of course, we're at um, Dubai Airport. So in that case, you know, we're able to connect to the Wi-Fi and get a connection. But if we left the airport, again, it's been a few years since I've been in Dubai, maybe I have data roaming now. Um, but in a lot of places, data is very expensive. And the only time you're ever going to be able to basically send your location back is when you're on a Wi-Fi network. So from our perspective, we're trying to get as much data as possible. Um, and we also use, for example, expense data in the platform as well. So if I go to a restaurant, I add that expense into the system. It's another data point, both from a security, but also a tax and immigration perspective as well. So I, mean, I think a lot of companies think, well, if I just have GPS tracking, well, A, I might not want to store the app on my phone. Um, I might have data issues. So the idea is the more data, the more sources we can work with, the better our tracking overall can be. So let's just touch on that because I know that there's lots of other bits that your system does that isn't just the sort of tracking piece or the duty of care yeah. piece. And I think the reason is, and this is again something that I've, you see a travel program as a travel program, right? It's a holistic view of a thing, of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and that's where most companies are obviously trying to get to, right? That's what, they, that's what you kind of need to have when you're creating a risk management program or a traveler safety program. You actually need to know the detail. It's not like, oh, we've got flights sort of through here and we're not, you know, you really kind of need to, to kind of get your, your head around that. And I think that's what your system also lends itself to. So just... Can you talk about some of the other stuff that happens that is a risk to companies um, that your system can help with? So some of the tax stuff and, and there's the sustainability bits in there as well, isn't there now? Uh, so what, again, actually, so one of the things that makes our platform at least historically different to a lot of our other travel trackers is the way that we basically, well, we collect and process and store the data. So when we receive a trip, if it's a trip for John Scott and we have a separate trip for John Christian Scott, within our platform, we create a single profile. Whereas I know with some of the other travel trackers, at least historically, that would create two profiles. Um, and so in theory, I could exist in two different places at the same time. Now, with a single profile, we're then able to get a much better picture of where you are going to be, where you are, and where you have been. So from the where you have been perspective, one of the key things is to keep that data stored as well. So again, a lot of travel trackers historically, once a trip is complete, the trip disappears off the system, and that's it. From our perspective, we're actually keeping that data for a longer period of time, which allows us to calculate for tax and immigration purposes, 
the number of days you spent in different jurisdictions. So, I mean, with things like Brexit, um, so I'm Norwegian, so I'm kind of immune to the whole Brexit thing. But Brits, for example, are limited to 90 days in any 180 day period within the, e within the EU. And that's actually probably a bigger risk than the, the security risk when it comes to travel, that you're not allowed to enter Europe or that you're actually basically sent out. Uh, yeah. And that's going to have a that can have a serious effect on your bottom line. Similarly, from a tax perspective, you have tax residency and um, the company can also have um, uh, there, there are implications for the company as well. So they can have a permanent establishment. There's po the posted posted worker directive, etc. So you have to be careful about how long you're spending in different countries. Um, and to be able to do that, you need to have a very good profiles for each traveler and also store that data for an extended period. Um, and actually, so you mentioned sustainability and we actually built sustainability into the platform about 10 years ago. And there's been absolutely no interest in sustainability up until about a year or two ago. Why was uh, that? Why was that, John? Why? Uh, you need to ask the companies that. I don't know. I mean, it's... Oh, I'm, I'm sure I'm, it's to do with the legislation and the fact that they now have to do stuff. You know, companies of certain size now have to have a vested interest in their carbon reporting because I feel the same. And I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I we were talking about carbon counting when I first joined the industry 20 years ago and nobody was interested in it. And now it's sort of like suddenly the travel industry is carbon counting and we're still not carbon counting everything. We're all right on air, but we still aren't doing it on everything as we should be. So sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you, but it's a bit of a bugbear of mine as well, because it's, it's about more than that, I think. And the industry could be leading in this space, but, but tell me yeah. more about your side of it. Well, well, I mean, yes, I think legislation is the thing that's doing it now. But I think, you know, why people weren't looking at it 10 years ago, this has been an really? issue that's been going on for a very, well, basically, well for decades or even yeah. a set, centuries now. Yeah. So now, why people haven't taken it seriously, I don't know. Um, but yeah, with me at Basel, we've done a lot of work. So we've expen extended the, the whole climate impact side of the platform significantly around that. And if you go to the website, you know, it's, it talks about uh, travel tracking while managing your carbon footprint, your climate impact. So it, it's something that's been very key to us the whole time, but it's one of those things where we can develop and develop, but there's, it's been basically we've been a hit, uh, bashing our heads against the wall for quite a while. I hear you. I, you know, and I think this is the issue with a lot. It's the common thread I get with a lot of the people that are kind of on, are on this call is that, you know, you guys have been passionate about this for many, many years, and it is just so frustrating not to kind of, get things moving as quickly as we would like to. For me, having come into this space probably in the last kind of three years, I feel like there is an energy and that there is kind of stuff coming together. But I feel like it's my job to point out a lot of the stuff that's already there because this is the thing for corporates. You've probably got a lot of this stuff already. You're, you're buying it through your insurance or you've got this in place, but you don't know how any of it works. And you just kind of made an assumption that everyone else does and it's being used. And that, that's what we kind of need to change. And then you may well find that there are other systems that can then help you do other things because travel sits across all organizations, across all departments. And by speaking to those stakeholders and those other, those other areas, you can re you realize that actually having good data and visibility of your full program and being able to use that will, will help with the, the other areas as well. So I just, I just love the fact that we see this in a very similar way. Like for me, a, a program is a living, breathing thing that sort of sits across the whole organization. And it really does affect everybody from IT to data, to finance, to 
the traveller themselves to HR and, and on it goes, everyone's got a connection. And I think that's what I love about VM is that it, it brings a lot of that to light and together. So before we stop, let's, um, I think you've given us lots of great information today, but for those listeners that are kind of wanting to get into this space, what are your golden nuggets, John? Um, I think there are probably two. So the first one is that you, having a system in place is better than nothing. Ideally, you want to have an encompassing system, but at least you know have something in place. And the second one is don't just look at the travel security side of it, but also look at the holistic side. So look at the tax, the immigration, and especially the sustainability, the climate impact of your travel. Beautiful, so succinct. I'd normally dig into them a bit more, but as we've hit our um, our kind of deadline of sorry, our time of the podcast, I'll stop. But I agree, and I think this idea of managing a program gives you access to all of this stuff, and it leads to reduction because once you can see properly what you're doing, you can make changes, and 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 everything else just kind of falls into place. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, we're in the travel security space, but actually, we want people to travel less. Uh, it sounds wrong, but it's important. You know, we need to save the planet. So I completely agree, John. And, and you know, we, we do. We simply have to. And we have to give people the tools to be able to do that and manage it better. Because at the moment, we're just not managing it at all. Yeah. Um, travel is the, for me, when I go into companies and they've got these huge sustainability plans and then they're like, what you do with your travel program, we're offsetting. Oh, right. <laughs> what about some reduction in there? Have we looked at that? But they can't because they don't know how to get hold of it. Travel risk management is the way to get hold of it. It really is. Okay. Thank you, Mr. John Scott. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I knew it was going to be fantastic. I hope it was enjoyable for you. That's too. been great. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good time. Good. I'm really pleased. Um, so to all of our listeners, you've been listening to John Scott, Voyage Manager and Mia Bezo, but actually just passionate about this space, like all of my guests are, and just really eager for people to start kind of taking it seriously and realising that an instant can happen to anybody at any time, anywhere. And actually we're at a point in our existence now that we need to be able to be proactive about that and not reactive. And now is the time. So you've been listening to Travel Respects on Talking TRM, the podcast dedicated to travel risk management. I look forward to joining you for another episode in a couple of weeks' time. In the meantime, take care, stay safe and look after your people. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to Ascent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.